0: Welcome to the Holden Village Podcast. Holden is a community of education, programming, and worship located in the remote wilderness of the Cascade Mountains. These snapshots provide a glimpse into the learnings taking place in our community. Let's tune in to this week's highlight. Welcome to another episode of the Holden Village Podcast. I am your host, Dev, he, him pronouns, and I am with one of our wonderful faculty members for week three of our 23 summer program, Josh McGuffey. Hey,
1: Deb. Hey, hey. How would you like to introduce yourself? I'll introduce myself as somebody who has been to Holden twice before, once in the fall and once in the winter, Mm. but never in the summer. Ah. So this has been a pleasure to be here with the community feeling in full force and the VC filled with song, voices singing and classrooms and the art studios going. And just, uh, it's awesome to be in this hive of activity. The not-holden introduction is that I serve 20 hours a week at the Church of Hope in Canyon Country, California. Beautiful. An ELCA congregation that proudly runs a food pantry, a thrift shop, and is in a strip mall and has never owned its own building. It was a new start in the 90s. I love that. And yeah. The, only in the 90s could that happen, only right? the, <laughs> It's really true. They were especially proud. They're at their second location. But the first one was uh, placed graciously between a liquor store and a pawn shop. Oh, man. So, <laughs> Um, That's where God lives. That's right. Yeah, it it was awesome and like they knew it. So, super cool congregation. I also just finished a PhD at UCLA. Go Bruins. Yay. Uh, I Bruins. Yeah. Actually, my heart, I did my master's degree at Oregon State and that's where my heart is. So, really, go Beeves. But Corvallis was just a spectacular place to live. But UCLA, also awesome. So, I teach history. Uh, as an adjunct faculty at Occidental College and at Moorpark College, both in Metro LA, mm. so wonderful. Yeah, what are you teaching at the Village this week? Boy, I've had the pleasure to walk with a really cool group of people through um, a st- sort of story about environmental history and ethics in North America and the U.S. and sort of the Pacific Northwest. We we spent a whole day thinking about the Columbia River today. So, And then the last session is going to be all about race and environmental justice. So it's been fun for me in part because I wanted to walk through some stories. I'm really a believer that history is just a collection of stories and And so it's super important to tell stories that don't get told very often. So it's been fun to walk through stories that sort of push back against what we were taught in high school, in U.S. history, about the Europeans arriving in the Americas and how the environment has been treated and how it's been used and utilized and exploited. So it's been a pleasure, but also to to think about some ethical questions, which, as a historian, I don't always get to do. Do
0: you have like a first memory of when you had that moment? Okay, the environment is really important to me.
1: Yeah, oh, that's a that's a great question. I can tell two stories. Excellent. That come to mind. Yay. One is as a, being a child in Yosemite, and we stayed at the Wawona, which is the hotel that's above the valley floor, so it gets way more snow than the than the valley does, and it's up close to the big grove of giant sequoia. My parents were there, my newborn brother was there. They were staying in one room, and my, grand, my maternal grandmother and I were sharing the room next door. To get between the rooms, you had to walk out onto the porch of this hundred-some-odd-year-old building and then go and knock on the, the other door. So I walked out one morning, because I'm an early morning person, and I'm from L.A., so it's snowing. I don't know what to do with snow. I was wearing, like, pajamas and socks. (laughs) So I walk out, and there is, right down the stairs, on the the snow-covered lawn, these three deer, and one of them was a buck with however many points, I couldn't tell you. And I was simultaneously terrified, because I'm like, if my brother was one, then I was seven. I was terrified, but overwhelmed with awe mm. and i don't know how long i stood there it felt like 10 million years because to a little seven-year-old body four minutes in the cold staring totally. at these deer is like 10 million years <laughs> uh, but like i couldn't move because I like oh well if i move then these deer are going to chase me deer don't chase people um, <laughs> but like i knew they and were they gonna, gonna but but just the the Beauty of these big living creatures that were so outside of my experience, in this totally foreign snowy place, just was overwhelming in like the like the most terrifying way, but also in the best way too.
0: That's the best combo Um, of things. Yeah, yeah. (laughs) Yeah, It was like it was
1: was this awesome (laughs) moment, and I think I actually like shuffled with my back against the wall and and like quietly like knocked on my parents. Door and and someone woke up and, and like got me inside. I don't remember that much. You know, memories evaporate over time. Totally. But that one is like my body can still feel it.
0: Um, that is fantastic. <laughs> I feel like you should have like a
1: sigil of like three deer. You know? right. That <laughs> like that's right. That's my patronus. Like, that's um, that's um, right there. Um, oh god. So there's there's that story, and then. There's maybe a kind of more mundane story, which is a, a repeated experience of during the summers, we left LA and we went back east to the north shore of Lake Erie, where my mom's family's had a home for generations. And down at the point, you can see fossils from, from hundreds of millions, from before the dinosaurs. And my mom would, would take us down and point out the corals and this and that. And as a kid, I didn't understand millions of years or hundreds of millions of years. Sure, But as I went through college and took a couple geology classes, walking back down to that point and now taking my kids down there to point out the corals and, you know, dutifully, dutifully pass on the, the memory, I continue to just be amazed by some fossils hanging out on the shore of Lake Erie that, uh, you could easily walk over and and never notice, but but they're there, and they've been there, and they're an invitation into this deep time that's just so much bigger than we are. so mm. humans man, we're so small <laughs> yeah yeah <laughs> right um, yeah, the journey to like embracing smallness is right. um, it's it's a real thing and it's it's a it's a bumpy and and zigzaggy path, but uh. But yeah. it feels like it's a good journey to take. Absolutely. Yeah.
0: When we're combining ethics with environmental awareness, what's one or two core principles that's the hardest to express or articulate, yeah.
1: however you want to go with that? Yeah. Oh, that's super That's super interesting. One is impractical and one is practical.
0: Excellent. Um, you got to balance <laughs> right. it out. Yeah.
1: yeah. The impractical one is that I've really been trying to think about, not in a systematic way, but... Uh, you know, the Christian scriptures give us this this sense that God makes humankind in the divine image. And a lot of people have used that notion to run roughshod over nature and each other, use nature to run roughshod over each other and, and all these things. I'm not a trained biologist, and, and maybe in this regard, that's good. Because I really am fascinated by, again, like time scales again. Because when I think about my body, uh, especially all the all the research that people have done about all the bacteria in your gut, and like fifty percent of your cells aren't even yours because of all the th- things that live in us. Because we all we evolved and we we live symbiotically with with the world. Oh yes. Um. So if if half of me isn't me, and if I engage in kind of functions like water comes in, water goes out. Um, you know, we don't we didn't need to get too into it But uh, there's a lot of natural systems and flows and movements that happen through all of our bodies and they happen pretty quick And what I'm really fascinated by is like I can't tell what the difference between uh, Me and a mountain is mm-hmm. other than a time scale because mountains have lots of bacteria in them that are not them mm-hmm. uh, Water moves through and water moves out. They grow up. They wear down uh, you know, I I'm sure I peaked out at like six one and if I make it to my eighties I'm sure I won't be six one anymore. And the Appalachians used to be, you know, tens of thousands of feet high and now they're nice rolling hills that what I forget what Canada is, but it's not. This is the Westerner speaking. He's not that tall. Oh yeah, um, yeah. That's they're, like, they're cute little. Yeah, lounge, right, come on right? now. Yeah. yeah, that's that's. Um, we're not biased in any way. <laughs> um, um, so I'm just I'm just really fascinated in like life cycle. I feel like we get stuck on consciousness as a way of making ourselves unique, and that that shuts down any kind of creative thinking about what gift. The divine gave to the mountain, to the fir tree, to navigate this world, um, because that's all all of us are doing is navigating a, the life through this world. I guess the 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 ethic there is I'm I'm really fascinated in I don't want to let go of the imago dei because <laughs> the the value of every human being is like so important right now, right in a world where people are being devalued all the time. But I also want to like just blur those boundaries between. Us, and Copper Mountain or Copper Peak. Are you like a sci-fi like reader? Oh, yeah. yeah.
0: Okay. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah that, was, that was definitely <laughs> so. coming out a little bit. Like, <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I'm, I'm huge <laughs> in the sci-fi. I love how you were talking about that, like in sort of a sci-fi sense. But also, I, I got a mystical sense from it as well, because... Christian mystics that I enjoy you know especially like Francis of Assisi like they were some of the first environmentalists I feel like um, at least within the
1: Christian Christian tradition tradition, getting in tune with one's natural environment I teed for a class at UCLA with an amazing professor but he had us read Teresa of Avila and she uses this water analogy to talk about like how you move through spiritual states. There's the, there's springs and there's fountains and there's drought. I felt like when I was reading her, like I left regular time and just went into this like oh things are happening, but it's not clear exactly in the if they're happening in a linear fashion or what. But uh, if Francis is the the phrase that I've been kept been caught up with this week. One of the one of the texts we looked at in class was this. Uh, 1964 article in science magazine and it was written by a guy named lynn white who and it was called the roots of the current ecological crisis and he says it's christianity like christianity is the most individualistic religion that's ever existed this is why we have a crisis (laughs) but the response to this could also come from christianity and that's Looking at Francis, yep. and White has this great line where he says, "We have to overthrow the monarchy of humans and get back to the democracy of all God's creatures." Mm. I, I've read I've read this like a billion times to teach it, but somehow like the line leapt off the page this week. Hmm. Maybe so. Maybe it's the surroundings, or maybe it's just the who knows that's sort of one ethic which which has to do with like the 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 person or the state of humankind and like the relationship with nature the other one the the more practical one being the the health of the los angeles river which runs through it and the uh there was uh exide corporation which if, if you s- still go to like home depot and buy a car battery or or a, any auto shop it'll be exide um exide battery had a re- battery recycling plant that spewed, amongst other things, lead into the air for decades. Oh, yeah. And j- just now the state's... Figuring it out. <laughs> <laughs> the state's no longer fighting remediation, and, a- and actually the- there's a push now to have, it become a- have the neighborhood become a Superfund site. But that's not how the U.S. Environmental Protection Agency has usually thought about things like the tailings at Holden Village um, has thought about s- distinct, discrete spaces as Superfund sites, not a neighborhood with families living in it and children coming home from the hospital. That gets a little too complicated. There needs to be redistributive financial justice. <laughs> uh, I had a student stand next to me and look at the LA River and very lovingly ask, why don't they just spend the money and clean this up? And we stood there with that for a little while. <laughs> and. She finally looked and said, oh, racism. (laughs) And and I I just just nodded my head. (laughs) You know, one of the things I love about the Lutheran Church is that we have done a good job breaking down a lot of cultural barriers about justice and breaking down stigmas. But as someone who works part-time in a church and who's an adjunct faculty, as opposed to a tenure-track faculty with a job guarantee— Uh, I want to say here, like, we got to start just putting our money where our mouth is. And the next justice leap for me is, and this gets into questions of reparations, too, which is outside of my wheelhouse. But, um, man, there are whole chunks of, of this beautiful world that we have sacrificed for our convenience and our high standard of living. We got to start hurting in the pocketbook to make that better. And I don't know how to do that, but I'm saying it. So <laughs> in, in like fifty years when I'm dead, someone will be like, "Oh, yeah, like that's thank God that, like there's a new federal bureau that take, I don't know, I don't know what how it looks, but, um, well, they're going to find
0: out that this podcast episode was the, right. the genesis of That's the comic right. Game. Yeah. No big deal. But. No big deal. You heard it That's right. Um. you know, the environment is such a huge arena. Are there are there specific terrains that um, are closer to your heart than others? Like I often like to think about it as like elementals, like yeah. like water, yeah. air, Earth, like yeah. what's what? What holds
1: your heart? Yeah, most? it's it's Earth. My folks took us to Death Valley often as children, and we still go there mm. uh, for for family vacations. And so, there's something about just the vastness, and the, the desert's not barren; it's alive in its own wonderful way. The the liveliness of the desert is like way different than the liveliness of a, the forest here in, in the Cascades. Yeah, exposed rock and sagebrush. Hmm.
0: That's that's, <laughs> that's, that's that's it for me. That's it. That's wonderful. That is it for me. <laughs> I love high deserts. So yeah. are like my favorite as a place yeah. of worship. Yeah, as a place of also just like ego death. Right. Because um, in a in a desert, like the ego has nothing to latch itself onto. Yeah. Yeah. And in a mountainous terrain, like it just gets cut. You yeah. know, as as a metaphor. Yeah. yeah it's
1: it's it's magnificent. I know. I know it's not the same, but. Um, I've never been to Egypt, but that, thats one of my favorite things. If you read sayings of the Desert Fathers and Mothers, is uh, just the travel. Like when they, they you know, they, they have their hut or their cave, and then but then they go into town to interact in some way, and then head back out. Or the, the you know, the disciples of whatever Abba or Imat is will, will walk out from like. Then he, they traveled up from Cetus and, <laughs> you know, visited with Abba Moses for you know a week or whatever. Um, I I love to think about that, the the traveling doesn't oftentimes make it into the story, but it's like, you have people just packing across the desert with whatever they can carry. That's hardcore. Yeah, to to go and experience (laughs) ego death with some grizzled sage. (laughs) Um, There's something that grips me about that. Oh, Um, same, same,
0: same. Oh, Wonderful. I do want to bring it back to Eden is calling, yeah, um, and just get like some very specific articulations of like what that means to you. Yeah,
1: I would love to stand on the LA River in East LA and South LA and uh, see a renewed landscape and hear the river singing Eden's song Hmm. in a place that has been devastated by. Waves of industrialism, deindustrialization, Amazon distribution centers, diesel pollution. Like, that would be an amazing place for Eden to hear Eden call. It's raining now. I uh, would love to hear the rain in places where there is dryness and drought and where people don't have access to clean water. We drove from LA to, to Chelan. And we went up the five and we drove past communities in the San Joaquin Valley of California where you can't buy clean water. Hmm. Uh, And so what an amazing call of Eden to be able to go up the freeway or take a train. Wouldn't that be better? Um, (laughs) Hey, take a train Um, past places where people are drinking clean water. There are so many narratives of scarcity and fear and apprehension. And climate change became something that's on the forefront of our minds. So just to have, to not deny or run away from all those things, but to still be able to live with an abundance of spirit and relationality and community to be in the garden even when it feels like the world's on fire so that 's that 's more of an internal vision i I wish I had a little more Eden inside of me, and I wish that I could be at my best more often be joyful amid the abundance with with like friends and family and all that that kind of
0: thing At the heart of everything is a song yeah, and that 's what you know civilizations used to honor is the hearing of that or the the listening. Oh, that's Um, a
1: super fascinating like perspective. I'd like to yeah. Yeah.
0: Yeah. And even like in like meditative traditions, Mm -hmm. it's an inward listening more than anything else. And so that sense is actually highlighted more than any other sense. One of my favorite traditions in the world, the Amarcha, they talk about how spirit gets into matter Mm -hmm. or like gets densified into, you know, human humanness. Human density. there's a a series of interfaces, interesting. and those okay. are what the senses are. Oh, super and the cool. first yeah. that first interface is sound. Okay, um, and it's interesting because the ears is the first organ to develop in the wound and the last to die, and so it's oh, like that beginning and end know. of all processes. Yeah. Um, so anyway, that's that's me geeking out on that. No, and no. also just being. Loving yeah. hearing oh, you talk about that.
1: You know, I'm so glad you said the one of the, my second year of seminary was like a was tough sledding for me, like just emotionally mm-hmm. and for a lot, like for a bunch of reasons. Um, there were like 10, 12 people who got together for taise in one of the houses, just on couches like this. And we sang and we sang in parts, but we had 30 minutes of silence mm-hmm. in the middle. And I, as you were saying, like I've never, I don't think I've ever heard like I did in that silence after like 30 minutes of, of song in parts yes. where like the there's the energy and, and you know every like but like the silence that's I want to say that's like the only time in my life where I've been able to have a discipline of silence so as you were describing that like it's like that's why that worked <laughs> <laughs> that's, um, that's, it's about a... hearing it's that's not a... <laughs> like the silence is not the thing it's about like the... tuning your ear like your ears <laughs> <laughs>
0: being you know. right because it's always there
1: yeah we just yeah forgot to listen yeah 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 <laughs> or didn't like think it was important enough right, to, like say exactly. and to have a time and space it's like oh that okay so thank you that's that's like oh i need to think about this a little
0: more <laughs> yeah thanks for for blessing the village with your presence and thanks for doing the work that you do well, it's been a joy
1: to be here so thank you
0: thanks for joining us be sure to view the links in the description for more information or visit our website to find out more about the village We hope you will make a pilgrimage to Holden. Blessings and peace to you.